Hey everybody, just a quick note before we get to today's podcast. Today's podcast deals with the topic of depression. There are a lot of people that are very close to me that struggle with symptoms of depression. So I did send this podcast out to a few of those people beforehand and received some amazing feedback. I actually listened to this podcast while driving with my wife and daughter out to drop her off at college. And we even used a lot of these um, takeaways that my guest Nate, Nate Christensen leaves. These He calls them his 10 commandments of managing depression. So the episode is excellent. I think it's going to help a lot of people. But uh, some of the feedback I received from some people that were very close to me is that the talk around depression for someone who is feeling depressed can feel almost somewhat triggering, especially when you hear the numbers or if you hear some of the um, the symptoms or signs of depression. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of a warning and just say, hey, if you are in uh, struggling with depression, then I do feel like the 10, 10 commandments of managing depression will help greatly. So please, um, I hope that you will hang in there and listen to these uh, to the, the full um, podcast and get these takeaways. I'm also going to try to come up with a nice graphic and put those on the Virtual Couch Instagram page. But uh, just wanted to let you know that um, that we are going to deal with some signs, symptoms, numbers, facts before we get to those 10 commandments of managing depression. So I want to give you a little bit of a heads up. If you are struggling with depression or even if you think you may have signs uh, of depression, please go see a mental health professional. The Virtual Couch Podcast, as much as I am just passionate about it and love it, is no replacement for therapy. So with that said, oh, one more quick thing. When Nate comes on, I mentioned a there's like an auditory... Um, it's what's well, actually, it's called misophonia. It's a selective sound sensitivity syndrome. So I could not think of the name at the time. I actually said it very quickly, misophonia, but, uh, that's the word that I was looking for. If you want to know more about misophonia, uh, give it a quick look. Uh, Dr. Google can help misophonia, M-I-S-O-P-H-O-N-I-A. And that is, um, when you may, maybe you or somebody that you're close to is not just annoyed with chewing sounds, breathing, that sort of thing, but it just, they feel it's like nails on a chalkboard and that it's going to just absolutely kind of, uh, you know, drive them crazy. So there is something called misophonia, which uh, there's some good information out on the web. So, all right, with uh, without any further ado, let me get you to the podcast with Nate Christensen that talks about the, um, or the, where he provides what he calls his 10 commandments of managing depression. Thanks. of the virtual couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. And there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. And I'm really excited. I'm recording this right after I just recorded another podcast because this intro is going to go on to an episode that I did with a guest who has already been on the program once. I guess you've already seen it in the title of the podcast, Nate Christensen. Uh, Nate is coming on to talk about depression, and that's a topic that I have wanted to do more with, and I've had a, maybe a couple of guests that we haven't been able to line up in time, and I, I wanted to get Nate on for a while, and so Nate and I have been traded a lot of messages to just see what uh, he would like to come on and talk about, and he has a, a lot of experience in um, working with depression, and he kind of shares some of his, his own struggles with depression on the show today, and so I'm grateful for that. He brought a Ten Commandments of Managing Depression. 
depression, which I thought was amazing. I did not know that was coming. So he has some really, I mean, 10 solid takeaways today, which I think is brilliant. And, uh, and I'm recording, I just have to tell you, I'm recording this now because when I would normally be doing the recording and editing that sort of thing, I'm going to be taking daughter number two away to college with my wife. And I just, that is what an experience. I mean, the first time that I did it a few years ago, I could not believe how exciting, but yet how emotional it was at the end. I'm bawling like a baby, you know, was I a good enough dad? You know, that sort of thing. And so I'm sure that's going to play out again. But uh, if you, if you get the chance, if you haven't, I mean, this is one of those things too, where when it was time to take first daughter to school, admittedly, I, I didn't know, I don't know how the game is played. And that's not a good excuse. But my wife was saying, Hey, we're, you're, we're going out there. Right. And then I was like, yes, yes, we are. And my man brain went into, okay, I'm going to take that time off of work. And I only get, you know, whatever I work for myself, but it's like, if I'm not in the chair, I'm not making money and then we've got to pay for this and it's college. And then I just think, okay, you know, this is a time where I need to put the needs of my family and uh, ahead of any of those man brain things and kind of trust that I will do whatever it takes. I will work as hard as I need to, to make that happen. And oh my gosh, am I glad that I did? It was such an experience. And so I'm kind of giddy with uh, getting out there to take her. So by the time this thing airs, I'm already there and, uh, and it's, uh, and it's going well. I know it is. I think, as a matter of fact, when I release this episode, I will have already last night said a very tearful goodbye. It was very emotional, I'm sure. But uh, I hope that I'm doing okay and not just sobbing all the way home. Actually, it's okay. If I sob the way home, it's all right. Uh, normal human emotion. Nothing uh, wrong with that. I'm not a robot. So, uh, and I'm sure that I can confidently say that over the last week, I did another Instagram live video talking or answering some questions of some sort, and I'm going to continue to try and do those once or twice a week because the response on the first one, and I'm going to pretend that I already know what the response was on the second one was fantastic. So uh, I really do appreciate that support. So if you haven't done so, please take a second and follow me on Instagram at virtual couch and on Facebook at Tony Overbay licensed marriage and family therapist, or on Twitter at couch virtual and at uh, Tony Overbay. And I also go to TonyOrbay.com and sign up to receive more information on upcoming programs and all that stuff. I'm starting to uh, use that a little more. Um, what's the word? Proactively and sending out some stuff there. Boy, you ought to see the spike on the, the recording when I just yelled proactively. I might have to go back and edit that out. And if I do, I guess you won't hear this. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just so excited to be able to engage with people that are sending questions, that sort of thing. I've been very open and honest about um, being very blessed with the response to the podcast. And unfortunately, I, I've gotten to a point where I'm not able to get back to everybody and I'm trying desperately to figure out some way to make that happen. But I please send your questions and your comments and your suggestions for podcasts. And I try to get back to everybody that I can. But again, I'm just grateful for all the support. And uh, I'll just really quickly go to bloomforwomen.com. If you listened at any point, you know that I'm a huge fan of bloomforwomen.com and just use um, coupon code virtual couch, all one word to get one month free behind to, to the, to access all of their, um, their information, their programs, their, uh, their whole network that is designed specifically to address betrayal trauma, whether it's the emotional affair or of a spouse, a physical affair, or the, um, recognizing or finding out that maybe your, your husband has had a pornography addiction or has been acting out, um, with compulsive sexual behavior. If you are feeling any type of betrayal trauma, please go to betrayal, uh, bloomforwomen.com because there is a tremendous amount of research now that shows that those symptoms are similar to those of PTSD, but uh, there is help. So please bloomforwomen.com and use coupon code virtual couch and please stop by Eli's extracts, E-L-I-S-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S.com and take a look at their all natural organic shave cream scented with the healing properties of 
of uh, essential oils. And that's for men or women. Again, Eli-extracts.com and use coupon code virtualcouch, all one word for 25% off of their products. All right. So now let me get on to that interview with Nate Christensen. Take it away, Nate. Gotta get rid of my gum, right? Yeah, well, you don't wanna sound like was it like a cow chewing on cut or something. Yeah. Oh, what's the there's a do you know that there's a it's not a disorder, but there's uh there's a thing, dog on it. I should know this before, where it's people are really tuned into sound. I wanna say it's mis- misophonia. Is it uh we you know what I'm talking about? I, right? I, you got me. Okay. I don't want to take the time to look it up, but I might have to when you are talking at some point. I'll probably get back to it on that. But where people just become so in, just attuned to chewing sounds, uh, slurping sounds. You know, I have someone in, uh, near to me that, you know, they just will hear chewing <laughs> and just, you know, hey, can you knock it off? And at first I thought everybody chews, you know, kind of relax. And sure. then but there's a I got to find this now. I will find this. I will find this. I will post about it, but it's a, it's a, cause then it kind of helps people. It normalizes that they don't feel they're crazy if all they can do is focus in on somebody chewing or whatever. So for those people who may have the disorder of whatever, I don't know what it is <laughs> off the top of my head. I'm sure they thank you for throwing away your gum. Not a problem. All right. Uh, this a repeat guest, Nate Christensen. Nate, welcome back to the virtual couch. Thanks, Tony. Thanks yeah. Um, our first episode, I, I love, and I'll always shoot you a text when I get, Hey, somebody brought it up in a session today, right? Um, we talked about. Oh, our first episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about decision making. Yeah. I Sorry. knew it was, but no, I was not exactly where you were going with that. I was like, what, what is he I don't, All of a sudden, oh, I'm like, wait, wait. Yeah, topic? yeah. Yeah, it was a yeah. blast, right? And I yeah. still pull the, I can sound really smart. You talked about the Dunning-Kruger effect. I will pull that out all the time when somebody will tell me a story about that somebody is going on and on about something they don't really know about. And I'm like, oh, do you mean the Dunning-Kruger effect? You know, and so I learned that from Nate. Um, all right. So Nate and I have been wanting to do another episode for a while. We were trying to zero in on a topic. And, and this is a big topic. Right. Um, we're today we want to talk about depression. And I thought that I would start out a little bit by, uh, just giving some, some facts about depression. Uh, the World Health Organization estimates that as many as 300 million people suffer from depression worldwide. And the United States alone, more than 15 million people suffer from major depressive disorder. And so it's when I first saw that number and it says 6.7% of the population over the age of 18, admittedly, I thought it was kind of low, but that is the, what meets major depressive disorder criteria, which yes. maybe we can talk about, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, there really aren't a lot of numbers of how many people just kind of have a, uh, not a major depressive disorder, but just feelings of depression. Uh, you know, actually, so I, I was looking into this, like trying to prep for, yeah. for us talking and it, it appears the numbers I'm seeing is, yeah. is in, over the course of, of any given year, 10 to 20% of the population wow. may be suffering from some sort of depression. Wow. Okay. So any given year. And then, uh, and it's one of those type of things that it can, it can hit anyone. Um, yes. people and people go through depressed times of their lives where they feel like they are more depressed. There's situational depression mm-hmm. where people can be met with, um, some life changing event that brings on depression. Uh, there's seasonal depression. Mm-hmm. Um, we're heading out of the summer, heading into the winter. I think that's one of the main times that you see a lot of seasonal depression. Yeah. Depression. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was okay. So many people have depression, turn to drugs and alcohol to make them feel better and numb themselves from their feelings. And so estimates uh, state that approximately 10.2 million adults live with a co-occurring mental health and addiction disorder. And I think that if you really step back and think about it, that's what makes treating depression even more difficult because when people feel bad and then they turn to something to help them feel better and typically it's not 
hey, how about a little bit more exercise or some deep breathing? Usually it's, uh, I mean, it's, you know, name the addiction, right? Right. And so, you know, we'll probably talk a little bit more about this. I, I have major depressive disorder. I'm, so I'm 40. Mm. I was diagnosed with it when I was, I think, 22. Um, I can recall feeling feelings of depression, significant depression, as far back as elementary school. Okay. But something that's, and, and it's genetically, you know, there is a genetic component. Yeah. But we don't know exactly what it is. So you got we, you know, you can't get too, oh, this is exactly yeah. what causes it because we don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for, for me personally, when it comes to, to, you know, my own depression and managing my own depression, um, I don't know. There's just a ton of things that you can do to make it better, mm. but there's almost equally amount of things you can do to make it worse. It might make it better for that moment, yeah. but then afterwards it's just compounded so much worse. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. I've never actually gotten a phone call while I'm doing a podcast. I have not decided yet if I will try to uh, delete that, I guess. Who, who um, on earth see. is up at 6.42 in the morning exactly, calling you? right? I don't know. Um, it's probably your family. <laughs> so, I, I was like, I look like a telemarketer. I've been getting a, a bunch of those lately on my cell phone. And so I'm, popular. Uh, I don't think so. These are the ones that are trying to sell me. Uh, as a matter of fact, okay, now look at this. You got me in an ADD tangent now. Oh. Um, but uh, I was playing one for my wife last night where somebody, they, it's so funny, they're so casual. And it just says, they don't say my name, of course. Hey, uh, this is Teresa. Just uh, following up on that $250,000 line of credit we were talking about. I got it right here on my desk. And and I don't understand the per- – am I supposed to go, oh, my gosh, I forgot that I had set up this quarter of a million dollar line of credit with Teresa. I need to call her back and give her all of my information, my Social Security number, my bank account number. I mean, who falls for that? I, I mean <laughs> – you can ask the same question. I mean, how many Nigerian princes are going to get money out of us? Because it's fair amount. The guy seemed very legitimate. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, he seemed very legitimate at the time. Uh, okay, so back to um, okay. But what you were talking about though is many of those things that you can do that are good. Um, the siren song of addiction calls as well whenever someone feels down, and it can look yeah. any. I mean, video games, gambling, uh, pornography addiction, um, alcohol. Even people can become addicted to exercise and, and sure. turn to that all the time. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think in terms of addiction, if you if you have to be addicted to something, exercise is probably you know low on the list of don't be addicted to that. Yeah, it can be. There there are worse things. Yeah, there, yeah, there are. I mean, full disclosure. A lot of times, you know, I, in my in- intro, uh, I was so oh, I'm ultra marathon runner and I and I love getting to go talk about running these 100 mile distances or 24 hour runs and when people just in general say why do you I love to say I just because I can or so I can eat ice cream but at its core I mean it's you know there's some belief that we're all kind of addicts of some sort so it's like yeah. how do you how do you find that socially acceptable quote healthy I did air quotes addiction and so the running becomes one but I've been pretty open about if I don't if I go a couple of days without running then I am shorter fatter balder I'm a worse husband father uh, therapist you know those sort of things because it sure. becomes just kind of a part of what I need sure yeah yeah well I mean when you're looking at exercise specifically when you're looking at addiction uh, there's there appears research seems to be pointing towards an under active dopamine system and, mm. and that's where people oftentimes have a propensity towards addiction and one of the things we don't necessarily know that it's the cause in fact i think a lot of researchers believe it's not the cause but neurotransmitters huge problem when it comes to depression yeah so you can kind of see the connection there you know dopamine is a neurotransmitter 
people that have addictions are u- using that addiction to get dopamine. Yeah. And a lot of people that are depressed uh, have issues of dopamine levels, serotonin levels, norepinephrine level levels, all neurotransmitters. So yeah. that's probably at least partially the connection. You know, I'm, uh, I'm reading a book right now called The Body Keeps the Score, which is just uh, it's a fascinating book. It's really dealing with trauma and PTSD. But the one of the parts that I read yesterday was talking about and I loved how he said, um, even, you know, people like uh, that are trying to run, he used a marathon runner where they begin to slowly, as they embrace the pain, they then, the, there is a, he's saying a physiological, physiological change in the brain that then goes to not only then um, embracing the pain, but then the pain becomes the normal thing. The pain becomes somewhat embraced. The pain becomes your baseline. And then it's almost now, uh, it's a withdrawal of those chemicals that mm-hmm. come with the pain. Mm-hmm. And so then you are, you know, you're not as much focused on the, uh, man, I can't wait to, to exercise just because I want to feel that good. It's the when I'm not exercising, I don't feel good. Right. And and I think that that's part of why for me, like I, I don't feel like I'll ever be cured of depression. I think most researchers and, and mental health professionals will tell another person, well, that's not something you can be cured mm-hmm. from. Yeah. Um, but that's why I like to use the term manage. Yeah, I like that too. And we'll get to a little bit when I want to go through, uh, and you put together what you call your 10 commandments for managing depression. Yes. And then I want to, one of the things I want to kind of talk about a little bit later is the concept of acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT, which I love doing and talking about with regard to depression, because you're right. You, you basically have to make room for depression. Yes. Which, and, and yeah, because then that helps recognize that even when it's there, it's what, what are we going to do with it? Mm-hmm. Not the, oh my gosh, it's here. I'm such a horrible person because I have it. I'll never get over this. Those aren't, those aren't workable thoughts, I guess. No. Uh, I want to really quickly go through. So we're given a little bit of stats. I think we've covered that. Lots of ways to find help. Um, there's a depression hotline. I'll put that in the notes as well. And a lot of people attend 12 step meetings for depression. You can meet with a mental health professional. Did I already give the disclaimer? No. Okay. <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> Uh, Nate and I are not providing therapy through the podcast today. Um, we just want to provide some information and things that we feel have helped us either in as, as individuals or uh, for me and my practice. Um, but depression is a significant debilitating mental health condition. So um, with that said, we highly encourage you to seek treatment from a mental health professional. Um, I, I, the really quick too, I, I thought this would be interesting. And then I want to get into your, I want to, I want to hear your 10 commandments. I have not, I do not know them. So I'm kind of excited. Um, but so it, I think it's important to note that most people do experience periods of sadness in their lives, especially after major events, job loss, divorce, mm-hmm. uh, death of a loved one. So clinical depression is different than that. And according to the DSM five, which you're beginning to love is now in grad school, right? <laughs> no, I don't love it. Yeah. DSM five is the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. It's the thing that we use as clinicians to diagnose. Um, so depression is diagnosed or clinical depression, which reg- different than regular sadness is diagnosed when you have five or more of the following symptoms in a two week period, um, depressed mood most of the day. And so you can even see how these are a bit subjective, right? They're very subjective, which, which is why I say I don't love it. And, and it's not, I mean, it's hugely important to our field, yeah, obviously, yeah. but it changes a lot. Yeah, it does. And, but, but it helps and, us. Uh, I mean, that's not bad mm-hmm. because we're learning new things all the time. So it has to change. Um, but I think you can get sometimes too wrapped up in the minutia of something. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, well you only have four of these. So, right. You know. So you must not be depressed. Right. right. Okay. That's funny. I remember in grad school, apparently I didn't take the DSM serious enough. 
So then there would be some discussions where people were doing that. Mm-hmm. And it was about the, so this one, you know, depressed mood most of the day. What constitutes most of the day? Right, yeah. Is it over the 12-hour mark? You know, is it is it less than? But so, but, but okay, according to the DSM-5, um, five or more of the following. Depressed mood most of the day. Loss of interest in almost all activities. Um, significant weight loss or decrease in appetite. Insomnia or hypersomnia. Um, feelings of restlessness. Fatigue or loss of energy, feeling worthless or guilty, sometimes for no reason, thinking or, or trouble thinking or concentrating, and then recurrent thoughts of death or committing suicide. And then they note in here without a specific plan. If there is a specific plan, then that kind of, we take that a little bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then it can be, you know, so there, okay, so there's the DSM criteria. And again, if you now realize, oh my gosh, I've, you know, I've got a bunch of these, and and maybe my depression is something I need to deal with. Please go see a mental health professional. Yes, absolutely. Um, and if you only checked off three and a half or four of these, you know, and think I'm good, <laughs> uh, you know, still go see a mental health professional. Sure. Okay. All right, Nate. What brought you to the Ten Commandments of Managing Depression? Uh, so, as you mentioned, the first time we met, I'm a student, mm-hmm. I'm a graduate student working on a, a, a graduate degree in counseling. I'd like to be a mental health counselor. Um, at, it's so I'm currently working on the degree through Northwestern University, um, and it's very challenging. It's very difficult. I went to kind of a regional college here for my undergrad, and it wasn't as demanding. And I just kind of had some family things all of a sudden hit me. I got super stressed out. Okay. And to the point where my anxiety was so high that I was starting to like have physical symptoms. Okay. And it became paralyzing. Okay. And I ended up in a major depressive state. Okay. Uh, Here you were pursuing something that you were excited about, passionate about. Yeah. You, you, this is what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So what was that like? I mean, were you kind of, was this, wait a minute, what's happening here? I, well, I knew exactly or? what was happening okay. because it's happened before, but I was surprised I couldn't shake myself out of it because yeah. in the past I've had issues like this. You know, it's been a long time since I couldn't get out of bed. That okay. was a weird feeling. I was like, I thought I was past this. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's maybe part of the management is understanding that you're never really totally past it. Well, I, I, I really appreciate your vulnerability. I mean, because that is here you're you're pursuing a a career now and something you love, mm-hmm. and so that had to have just felt just uh, it was a surprise. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was. I mean. That's, surprise is a pretty uh, lame word right there. I'm trying to. Well, I mean, I don't it, want to put words in your mouth. No, but I think it's fair because I, I didn't I didn't expect that I was going to be back at this place that yeah. I was years and years ago. Yeah. Um, like a decade ago or more. So um, it really it, it was really eye opening. And I think it's a good thing. And I'm glad it happened at this point and yeah. not later on, you know, when I'm practicing. Yeah. And, you know, that would be. That would be horrible, especially for my you know, poor clients. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't get out of bed. <laughs> right, right. That would yeah. be bad news. But right now, though, it does. It, it gives you a tremendous amount of empathy. I can imagine. Well, yeah, yeah, certainly yeah. for people that that are going through depressed, you know, and and sometimes it's hard to empathize with someone that is unwilling to get out of bed in the morning. Something mm. that simple. If yeah. you haven't been through it, yeah. If you've never been through that. And, and there, you know, and somebody's just sitting there, you're like, you just got to get up. Yeah. But yeah. the person it's laying there, right? you're like a puddle of, of mess. And you're like, 
Why? Yeah, <laughs> one, one, and one more episode of whatever, or one, I mean, I don't know, right? Would you have the, or were there days where you just felt like it's just not happening today, period? Or was it a, uh, all right, uh, at noon, I'll do it at noon. Then noon rolls around and. Some days that's what it was. It's like, okay, I just would get up when I can. Yeah. Um, I, there was a lot of days I couldn't get up at all. Um, so my, my parents are currently gone as missionaries there in Florida mm. and they literally had to take a plane home. I'm single. So I don't have someone there to yeah. kind of like cheerlead me out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> so they had to come back. I mean, I'm 40 years old and my parents had to come back and get me out of bed. Okay. And, and, you know, that's, those are kind of on my, my commandment, so maybe I'll share a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Let's get into those. I you feel like we could tell. Now? Yeah, we could talk okay. for days. Okay. All right. So, kind of based on what we just talked about, my first commandment is get up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Depression is not going to get better if you're laying in bed. Now, that being said, if yes. you're if you're dealing with someone that is struggling with depression, standing there and like get up, get up is probably not going to be helpful. But you know, there's tactful ways that you can be encouraging and things like that. I remember the podcast I did with Shelly Aldrich about anxiety. It was, I mean, I love what she said about you know, at that point, I don't know if it's maybe the it's maybe not the fight or flight response, but the freeze response, or so your brain's well, not paralyzed. thinking. Yeah, so yeah, your brain's not thinking rationally. So when you're trying to lay out all these reasons, uh, when the person is standing above them saying, "Here's eight reasons why you need to get out of bed." That's not registering. No, it's it's not. Because, I mean, the way that I like to explain it is is at that point, the emotions are overriding logic to the point that, I mean, your emotions are huge. And logic is just, I mean, it's there somewhere, but it's not going to override this huge uh, cloud. Okay. So the managing depression is get up. Do you kind of have some tips there? Well, I don't necessarily have tips, but I did want to – so. I mean, for me, it was setting an alarm. Okay. Um, what I found happening is is I would be up super late. Um, I'd just be laying there mm-hmm. because I didn't get up until noon. Get up by get up, I mean wake up. I didn't wake up till noon or yeah. one or two, and then I'll go back to bed until four a.m. Um, I just lay there from two until four a.m. So um, the the reason I'm I'm saying just get up is yeah. because. If you're in the bed, you're not going to be able to do any of these other things. So yes. okay. you've got to get up well in order to do anything else. Okay, good point. Um, and and I, I looked at kind of some interesting things. So um, there was a study that, that uh, was done by the University of Colorado, MIT, uh, Harvard, and the University of Vienna. Now, they specifically looked at, at female nurses. Okay. So if you're a female nurse, this specifically applies to you. I think it applies to a lot of people. Yeah. But you know, that's just what they were looking at. They found that uh, that if you got up in the morning, based on on all of these nurses they surveyed, and there were several thousand of them, um, those that got up early, and early could be different for different people. Sure. For me, 7 a.m., I'm fine with that being early. But, you know, everybody's different. I say that's halfway through my day, Nate. Yeah, I know. I'm, just kidding. Well, I'm totally kidding. You've already, you've already <laughs> run through three states. At <laughs> okay, but yeah, so getting up early. Okay. Uh, Anyway, so 27% decrease in 
uh, depressive symptoms in people that get up early. Okay. I like this. I have to tell you, I saw, I listened to a podcast long ago. I think it was one of Freakonomics radio or something. Mm-hmm. And I've been meaning to get back to it where they were talking about, um, can you be a, if you're an early morning person or a night owl and can you change? The answer is yes. But, uh, they had some data that backed up the early risers were more productive. They were mm-hmm. happier. They were all those things. So sorry, sleep in people. But uh, let's get up, right? Let's get going. Well, I mean, you, we have to adjust for people that have, you know, they're working third shift and yes. stuff like that. Don't go to bed at 6 a.m. and get up at 7 because we told you that because you're going to be less you're depressed. You're going to be more productive. That's you're, right. you're not going to be less depressed because you're, you're no. going to have an hour of sleep. Right. Sleep is still important. It's, and it's hugely right. important. Okay. Uh, so the next one is actually something you just said. Be productive. Yeah. And and. And in that, what I mean is, is getting up and watching TV all day is probably not going to get you out of feeling depressed, you know, and and I'm not saying, you know, go clean your whole house, but just do what you can when you can. I mean, get up and do something, make breakfast, maybe do the dishes, you know, if you like to get outside. Have you heard that there's a a viral uh, video speech of, I think it's someone, a Navy commander or something that talks about making your bed in the morning? So, so there's a there's a Canadian psychologist, uh, naval captain, Canadian psychologist. Oh yeah, who wrote a book? Yeah, I think it's twelve, twelve. Yeah, I rules for life or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And and I think his first rule was was make your bed. Okay, and that's what and this one's gone around for a while. And and where and I think that's that point. You get up and you have now accomplished something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's along those lines. Um, so the next one is, is get active. And for me, this one was huge. And, and I'm including like, this is exercise is yeah. really what I'm looking at, but exercise is different for different people. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm spending about two hours a day, six days a week in the gym, but I didn't start that way. Yeah. This was months ago. I, I, there were, I, there were times I was to the gym once yeah. or twice during the week for an hour. Okay. So you got to understand where you're at and just just get there. And I appreciate you saying that, too. I feel like when even I'm suggesting that if I'm speaking somewhere to a client, you know, they assume I'm saying, hey, can you hurry up and uh, get to the 100 mile running? Right. And I, no, just walk. Yeah. Just, and I remember hearing, uh, boy, now a million trains are coming at once. <laughs> but there's another one where I just talked about there was a guy talking about he got into the. Just even getting up and just stretching movement and it, and it you know, mm-hmm. the way it kind of stretches the muscle fibers and the, and it just it helps you from not just feeling stagnant. And then from stretching to walking to just move. Yes. Right? Okay. Yes. And that's really what I'm talking about. If you have a gym membership and you get to the gym, great. Mm-hmm. If you don't and all you can do is just walk around your yard at yeah. first. If yeah. that's all you can do at first, just do that. Yeah. Um, and, but I do think it's important to, to point out there's been several studies. I think the, the most recent I saw was through the university of Texas Southeastern, I think was, was the school 18,000 participants. And they found that when they were polling these people, uh, exercise was equally as effective as antidepressants. Okay. I did hear I mean, that. That's yeah. That's pretty big. Yeah. Um, by the way, that's why I dig Nate. Nate's pulling things out from Texas Eastern, you know, uh, report. You love that stuff, right? The research, the data. Oh, yeah. cool. That's why Some you're probably like, dude, what's the on with this guy? This is so boring. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> this is great. Okay. All right. Uh, so the next one. Are we on three? This is four. Four. Okay. Four. Uh, improve your diet. And this ah. could be a couple different things. So you did mention there, you know, weight 
significant weight loss. Yeah. Some people with significant weight gain. Well, even loss. as I was reading that from the DSM, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I get people that, you know, therapeutically eat and yeah. put on a fair amount of weight right. and that, does, you know, and then they beat themselves up about that. Yeah. Well, and, and I mentioned before kind of the physiology of it with glycogen, mm. which is, Oh wait, you and I talked about that. Yeah. yeah. Talk about that. I have okay. that on your, uh, Nate, uh, the quote in my, when we were putting some notes together, I feel like I'm more attracted to things when I'm depressed, like video games, carbs, and then we were talking about wondering if people who have depression have a propensity to overeat sugar carbs. And then I said, in my notes, I said, Nate, do your liver glycogen thing. Okay. <laughs> so here we go. Do that liver glycogen okay. thing. All right. So uh, so glycogen is kind of the fuel of the body. And so when we eat especially carbs, our liver will fill, fill with glycogen. And, uh, and when it's full of glycogen, it can't take anymore, then it releases tryptophan. And tryptophan is that chemical in Turkey. That okay, that's why I think tired. That's, yeah, yeah, that, that causes us to fall asleep watching the cowboys and the lions. Right, right. Okay. right. So what then ends up happening is the body, uh, tryptophan. Now I'm, I'm not a neurologist, so this is my understanding, and this okay. hopefully this is a very basic. Okay, yes. this is at the most basic <laughs> level here. Uh, no nutritionist. Uh, my understanding is tryptophan is a serotonin precursor, so the body will metabolize the, the tryptophan into serotonin, or it will trigger the body to create serotonin, and serotonin is a feel-good drug. So overeating makes us feel good emotionally. Wow, and sleepy. Oh yeah. So you just want to sleep. You've, you happy feel sleep. good and sleep. You're yeah. in a happy coma, and the way you got there was from tasty treats. Right, and it, it, and it, and and rule one: you barely got out of bed. <laughs> then you overate. Next thing you know, you're back in oh. bed sleeping, and you wake up, and you're like, "Oh, I got to do it all over." Again. Right. Okay. So no, I like it that. Be a nasty and again, smile. Nate is not a doctor, but no, and that may have been a stick figure drawing of, of the something far concept, more complex. But it, I, it, you know, let's. It, I think that's a workable thought, as they say in acceptance and commitment therapy. Okay. Yeah. So improve your diet could be eat more, could be eat less. Um, and certainly we're looking at, you know, if you can, any way you can incorporate fresh fruits, vegetables, like, I mean, I love donuts, but they're awesome. It's going to make you sick and you're going to feel rotten. Afterwards. Yeah, you really are. You know, and, uh, oh gosh, I remember for a while I was on this kick of, oh, I think after I, the, one of the podcasts I had the woman, um, half size me. Uh, the podcast and the website lost literally half of her weight, 150, 160 oh, pounds. Amazing. And she even just talked about, we have that concept of where, you know, sometimes I think, okay, I, I didn't eat the salad, but, and so really does it matter to eat the banana? It's like, absolutely. Yes. Have a banana. One is great. An apple is great. And she even talked about, you know, don't feel right now like, oh gosh, I got to go. I got to start some crazy diet or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, just make a little bit of movement. Progress. Right. Progress. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's huge. Um, so let's go to number five here. See a therapist. Um, so therapy is interesting. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Jonathan Shedler. Hmm. So he's a uh, psychologist in Colorado, and um, he's huge into psychotherapy. Okay. And uh, so he quoted a study that we, we studied him in one of my classes. Not him particularly, but we looked at a, something he wrote. Yeah. And uh, and and this piece that he wrote. Um, he quoted a study that, according to the study, um, cognitive behavioral therapy was twice as effective for people as antidepressants. Okay. And psychotherapy was three times as effective uh, for people with depression versus antidepressants. Interesting. Yeah. So there's, there is value to seeing a therapist. Yeah. Absolutely do it. 
Um, as a therapist, I have to say, a lot of times people feel like what you know, what's what, how is it going to help? And and there's the it's cliche, but it's true. Sometimes it does feel good to just kind of to to be able to express things to somebody sure. who's not going to just tell you knock it off. You shouldn't do that. Do you right. realize what you're doing? You should you know you're wasting any of those kind yes. of things. But I feel like also I can't tell you how often I hear people express things that they just assume they're the only person in the world that feels the way that they do. Right. And then when when you kind of don't you know as the therapist you're like oh man thank you for telling me that mm-hmm. and they kind of look at you like wait a minute you're not freaking out right now you're mm-hmm. not ready to lock the door and call the right you know and then <laughs> and then I feel like sometimes that just feels like there's gives them a little bit of something a bit and I've got my episode right on raising their emotional baseline I think therapy is going to help raise your emotional baseline yeah. and every little bit eating right the movement everything you're talking about as it raises the baseline you're going to view things a little bit different yes okay yes um okay so the next one i've got is talk to a doctor now this could be your personal family doctor or this could be a psychiatrist um so antidepressants works for roughly about half the people that take them so for some people they're not going to be helpful but for some people they're hugely helpful Mm -hmm. um you don't really know what that is you know until you try it yeah um, Got to rule it out. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I go to a uh, psychiatrist myself after what happened earlier this year. I was like, holy cow, I got to <laughs> do something. This is bad. And so uh, so I'm seeing a psychiatrist and it's, you know, I haven't found the exact drug yet. Um, but I, I did find some drugs that were really helpful when I was younger. Okay. So now we're kind of trying a new search. Yeah. And, uh, I've got a couple of thoughts there. And you tell me if you, if you disagree or if you agree. Um, but it, you can go to your family doctor. You can mm-hmm. go to your phys- general uh, GP, general physician, and they can prescribe um, an antidepressant. And yep. I'm not saying anything negative about that. Mm-hmm. Um, a psychiatrist, though, is one who is going to have probably a little bit more assessment tools. That's sure. what they do yes. for a living. Mm-hmm. And so I find that some people go to their GP. They ask for an antidepressant. They prescribe something that, that they feel has worked for most of the people they work with. Right. And so then if it doesn't work for the, maybe the client I'm talking to, then they just say it doesn't work. And so, I mean, again, I love my GP. Um, I do. He's a great guy. Uh, but the psychiatrist, I, I, ideally you want to then report back to them. Here's how it's working. Right. They can adjust dosages. Right. And if that's not working, they can say, okay, we can try this one. And, and then you can really rule out whether or not you, there is a medication that works. It's not a, I tried something for four weeks. I really didn't feel any different and I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, what you're dealing with there is a specialist versus someone that has a broad base of knowledge over a lot of different things. So they're just not going to have the depth of knowledge when it comes to mental health. And that's not to say that, I mean, I, I, I actually, in my religious congregation, Mm -hmm. there's a retired doctor and he's been very helpful for me. Okay. Um, because he, but he's also looked at, at other things as well, like my diet, and and he's given me other suggestions that the psychiatrist, who's very focused on pharmaceuticals, yeah, you know, maybe didn't f- focus on as much. So, uh, and I, while you're there, when you mentioned diet again, I mean, I know there are people that are probably going to listen that have had their lives radically changed by change in diet, and mm-hmm. I and I don't want to sleep on that. I feel at my core that if I, you know, if I never turned back to another donut or candy bar or bag of chips or that sort of thing. Again, I would be, I know that it would help. I really do. It's difficult. 
Um, yeah, but I, but, so I, but I know there are people that I've had in my office that have said, look, once I, you know, once I basically cleaned up my diet and never looked back, then life looked completely different. So, and I understand that, but then I don't want that shame or guilt feeling to come for people that say, yeah, I've tried a can't or that sort of thing. Well, and I think that you're looking at, at different, potentially different people. Mm-hmm. So some people are, are, I mean, that the diet is their cross mm-hmm. to bear. Yeah. I mean, that is going to be the hardest thing for them their entire life. And other people, it just doesn't, I, I have a close friend. I've always liked sugar, mm-hmm. you know, for maybe for that glycogen reason. Yeah. He didn't really care that much. Yeah. You know, it doesn't really bother him. Like he I don't understand that. He, like he sees, he sees a pile of candy <laughs> and he eats one piece. Like I'm like, how much of this pile can I get in my oh, yeah, face? Yeah. <laughs> that, that, when we talk about transferences as therapists, when I have the people like, yeah, I really don't care much about food. Mm-hmm. I find myself then, man, I got to be very mindful and get back to focus with the client. Cause I right. sit there thinking, what is he talking about? What is that like? Is he just saying that? Or does he really, can he sit there at Halloween and not want to raid his kids candy? What is that like? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. What number are we on? Okay. So we are on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All right. Be social. Okay. This I love can be, these. These are good. Yeah. Well, these are all very basic and simple. Yeah. And so that's why I thought, you know, if you're especially in the throes of depression, mm-hmm. hopefully these things, you know, yeah. are. Because uh, depression is, a, is, a, is a, something that causes one to isolate. Yes. Okay. So yes. that's where you're headed with that. Yeah. So I'm an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy people. I like people, but I like environments that I have a little bit of kind of control, mm-hmm. especially like, so me walking around an amusement park kind of raises my anxiety. Okay. A lot of people. Yeah. Um, so sometimes I have a tendency to not be social, but I'm realizing now, you know, holy cow, like being social with other people is, is helping me. And, and there's, and there's pieces of that that are interesting. So the doctor that I, that I mentioned previously, who, by the way, I want to get on the podcast. I mean, I won't shout his name out yet, but I think he'd be great. Oh, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's wonderful. Okay. Um, so anyway, he, he came by my oh, dad. Sorry, I meant you're the psychiatrist. I want to get on the podcast. I don't know this doctor. Maybe he needs to come on the podcast as well. Well, he's retired. Uh, I mean, mm. he, so he doesn't have much time. Okay, right. I'll I mean, have to he's got a ton of time yeah, now. Yeah, I'll have to talk. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so he he came by. My dad brought him by, you know, after he flew all the way back from Florida and he brought him by because I couldn't get out of bed one day. And he's like, he's like, have you heard of smile therapy? And I was like, no, I have no idea what that is. (laughs) And he's like, I want you to just look in the mirror and smile at yourself for five minutes. And I was like, oh, that's absurd. (laughs) So I didn't do it. You know, like like me, I'm stubborn. Yeah. So I didn't do it. But I noticed when I was interacting with other people, I couldn't help but smile on occasion. Mm. And I was like, you know, this is kind of what he was alluding to, I think. You know, when you have an interaction with people, preferably a good interaction. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're just getting angry with the, talking right. with people, then maybe maybe we'll put the social piece right. on. Right. You're not going to say, what's the opposite political party I believe in? I think right. I'll go debate. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Let's discuss something that's going to make you really mad. Right. Uh, but, you know, for most people, just you're having just a random discussion and you just okay, Occasionally smile. And and we are hardwired to be social, even mm-hmm. if we are introverted. And so on some level, we're, you know, we are getting our brain is 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 releasing neurotransmitters from interacting with people. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, but that's just kind of 
I guess on some level, it's a survival mechanism. No, I enjoy. I do. I and I, I try to bring humor into therapy. I mean, I think that smiling is. I mean, it, it, yeah, it does help. It helps a lot. Um, I so do you want to know my uh, my ADD train of thought yeah, while you're telling that story? Yeah. I was ready for. I wanted that doc, the retired doctor, so bad to just say, Nate, have you heard of tickle therapy? And then <laughs> he and your dad just like start mercilessly tickling you to get you out of bed. Oh, yeah, that, that wouldn't have ended well. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm ticklish at all when I'm depressed. Okay, yeah, that's a fair point. You're just like you're, you're in my space. You're touching. <laughs> Me, go it's not away. working. Go okay. Away. All right. So we're not uh, advocating tickle therapy, but smile and being social is a good thing. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things, just, you know, a th- few ideas, you know, if you're religious or you, you know, yeah. you can go ahead, go, go do your church activities, even yeah. if you can't get in the middle of it. And, and I understand you don't want to be there. That's the last thing in the world you want to do, but just, just be in the presence of people can sometimes, you know, over time it'll warm you up hmm. and, you know, see family friends. I mean, there's, you know, I had somebody oh, a long time ago talk about, they would, they liked in those moments to be able to just kind of get outside of their, their, their heads. They loved people watching. And I love that. I do too. Yeah. And so they talked about, they would literally just go to a mall and mm-hmm. uh, sit at the food court and grab a drink and then just watch people. And that just, they found themselves. And I think it was kind of like a mindfulness exercise without them knowing. Sure. So they were noticing people, noticing interactions with people. Mm-hmm. And, and so they're out of their head, they're out and about there's movement to mm-hmm. kind of walk to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I like that. So there's a lot of different ways, but sure. just social. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you feel like the, I don't know, social media kind of things is a good thing or a bad thing at that point? Well, so I did, I did put here, which I, which I failed to, I'm, I'm, I don't want to read this, uh-huh. uh, is if possible, do it daily and in person. Yeah. I like the in-person thing. Yeah. Hard part with the social media is when you're down and then all of a sudden you jump on there and you start seeing everybody in Cancun or, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And that's, and that's one of the interesting critiques of social media, which is it, it puts us too into other people's lives and then there becomes a comparison problem. Yeah. It's like, wow, this person I went to high school with has a beautiful home, a beautiful family mm-hmm. and they're vacationing in, what you say, Cancun. Yeah. And then for me, I'm single, a graduate student, you know, (laughs) what's wrong with me? (laughs) Right. Nothing. I just got more depressed. Right. They didn't post a picture of uh, the guy losing his wallet, somebody like ruffling through their stuff, their flight delays, that sort of thing. Which I mean, I'm making light of that, but I do feel like the, the part where I know that everyone has their problems. Oh yeah. They do, but it's hard to kind of acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, okay. So eight serve. Mm-hmm. Um, now this is obviously he- heavy, you know, in, in terms of religion, that's usually a big, a big component. Yeah. So I found an interesting quote. I don't know if you've heard of Carl Menninger. He, he was a psychiatrist. He died, I think around 1990, he wrote several books and so he's somewhat influential. And uh, someone once asked him, uh, what advice w- uh, would you give to a person if that person felt a nervous breakdown coming on? And, you know, a psychiatrist, most people are like, go see a psychiatrist right. and get some drugs. Yeah. And his response was, leave your house, find someone in need, and do something to help that person. Oh, that's perfect. So, I mean, for I think for especially, again, for religious people, you know, I mean, you, know, you find a million different things and say the New Testament. You right. Know, you know, you, you, you find your... You, 
lose yourself and you find yourself yeah. losing of yourself. Yeah. Um, and I, and I do feel, so I've had, I've had, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of religious congregations do have immediate opportunities to serve. You can reach out to somebody, a pastor or bishop, mm-hmm. and they'll tell you, but I've had, uh, I've had some clients that don't necessarily have a, a religious community who, and I know it can sound cliche, but the soup kitchen, uh, mm-hmm. there are a lot of opportunities. I had one, uh, I had one client, um, go volunteer to cook one day a week at a, at a small group home. And, uh, that led to other opportunities and other opportunities. And, and they, you know, that was a great example of that. Yeah. Just kind of getting out and getting outside of yourself. Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> number nine, avoid triggers and self-medication. That was one of the first things you brought up. Mm. Um, when, when we are feeling depressed, sometimes we have a tendency to, to, be attracted to things that are bad for us that help in the short term. Yeah. But the long-term effect is, I mean, it's, it's so much worse that, that the little, I understand why you do it in the short term. Cause I have been guilty in the past of doing self-destructive things to yeah. just get that relief because you're feeling so awful. You just want to feel a little bit better. Yeah. But you're training your brain to when I feel this certain way, now I will turn to this addictive mm-hmm. thing and that, and it will, it will release this, uh, chemical rush mm-hmm. uh, for the temp, for the moment. And then quite frankly, I may feel worse after, but yeah. then, which the ironic part is then when you feel bad, then your brain says, Give wait a minute. More. Yeah. Remember we got the, the rush here a minute ago. Mm-hmm. And so then you're just training the brain. And then we go back into that, uh, power of habit, Charles Duhigg book where the little walnut size thing, the basal ganglia, the habit center, it's just waiting for you yeah. to throw at some things that, you know, so your brain can just say, I don't really have to think about this anymore. We just do this. Yeah. So your brain wants you to create those, um, patterns, those channels, yeah. those neuropathways so that it can just say, all right, you, you take care of that. I'm just going to kind of be here chilling because I want to live forever. You know, and it's interesting you mentioned that. So you, you, or maybe I brought up Dr. Jordan Peterson because of the making your bed thing. So he, he posted, he's posted over the years. He's a professor at the University of Toronto. He's posted over the years some, uh, some of his lectures. And mm-hmm. one of his lectures that I, that I watched was on addiction. And he talked about how for, for most people, the physical addiction is gone in a week or two. Yeah. It's the neural pathways. Yeah that hang on for years and years. And, and so, you know, changing those neural pathways is the really difficult. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to go deep in a few, in a a month or two, I've got a series I want to do on ADD uh, because I, you know, I'm very open about that. I I struggle with the attention deficit disorder Mm -hmm. and, and even when one gets medicated and the, you know, and they feel like now they can focus, there are years, decades of patterns of just, you know, if I'm on the internet, it's check this, this, and this. If I'm right. coming into my office, I can put, I can do these things. And, and even though you are, you feel hope, you feel different, you feel like I can focus. It's a, it's amazing the, the, just the tug of just the behavioral yep. things that have been kind of ingrained over years. Absolutely. Power of association. I mean, mm-hmm. it's why quitting smoking can be so hard for people. It's a social thing. It's, uh, like every morning I have a cigarette. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I mean, there's just, and and so you stop smoking and the body all of a sudden it doesn't want nicotine but then you're seeing all of these associations there's a great podcast called the hidden brain and they talk about um quitting smoking and 72 hours after and the what happens with the brain and the body and 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 it's kind of like that there's a lot that happens there to kind of put someone in a position where they can succeed. Mm-hmm. But they talked about the social part and the part where, you know, you're going out together at work or, I mean, it's just, it is, there's so many, there's these, uh, neural pathways that are, mm-hmm. that are ingrained. Yeah. So the same thing with the things that we do to avoid, 
um, kind of managing our depression. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the last one is uh, don't try to be perfect. Just try to improve. Mm. And and that for me has been kind of a, a, you know, a constant in my life is I've, I've sometimes set the bar too high. Yeah. And when you're feeling really depressed, you just got to set it low. And, and, you know, shoot, if you can't get out of bed for three days, but you get out of bed one day, even if you do nothing else, the fact you got out of bed is an improvement. Yeah. So tomorrow, try to do a little bit more. And guess what? There's going to be some days where you're going to do, you know, well, you'll, you'll do great. And the next day you'll do bad. And then you want to feel depressed again. Well, right. I mean, you're going to backslide. Yes. Just be aware of it. It's okay. You know, the next day you can have an opportunity to do a little bit better. So just to reiterate, get up, be productive, get active, improve your diet, see a therapist, talk to a doctor, be social, serve, avoid triggers, self-medication. Don't try to be perfect. Just try to improve. And and there's other things that could certainly be helpful for religious people. It could be prayer mm-hmm. or, you know, re- reading their, their religious texts. Have you have you been a fan of mindfulness at all? Has that been a part of any of what yes, you've done? Yes, absolutely. So for me, mindfulness um, can help in many different circumstances. I find it particularly helpful when I'm feeling very uh, anxious. Okay. Um, so I don't necessarily quite incorporate as much when... I'm yeah. when I'm going through a depressed state, but, uh, but I also, when I'm really depressed, have focus problems. Okay. So mindfulness would be especially helpful, but I like can't focus sometimes. So I don't even like go there. No, that makes sense. That does. I'm a huge, um, and I've done a lot of podcasts, I think recently on acceptance and commitment therapy and that there's a mindfulness component there. And I had pulled up a study, uh, not too long ago that acceptance and commitment therapy, also known as ACT mm-hmm. is a, the, this is titled ACT as a little-known fast treatment for depression. Uh, some psychologists believe that accepting your negative thoughts can help them pass faster. And I know it's uh, much more complicated than that, but um, with accepted with ACT, the ACT was developed in the 1980s, but now there's finally enough. It's really a, there's enough evidence now that we can kind of accept it as a it's a it's an evidence based model that shows ACT being effective in treating anxiety and depression and chronic pain and addiction and those sort of things. Um, but so instead of like uh, classic CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and, and CBT, a therapist encourages you to try and challenge your negative or irrational thoughts. Um, ACT kind of wants you to be more mindful and accepting of them, make more room for them, which I know can kind of sound a bit squishy if you haven't really tried to do it. Right. But I think that it, it goes against that I'm broken or and it's more of just these are just some feelings or thoughts and I have plenty of these and they're going to come and they're going to go. And, and then what do I do with them? And how do I learn how to kind of make room for them? You know, and, th- and that's an interesting thing when you talk about, uh, about our emotions and kind of how we feel broken, because you, you know, there, when you talking about feeling broken, when you're in a ma- major depressive state, that is like the ultimate feeling of broken from what I've experienced. Yeah. And, and we have a tendency to want to figure out what is wrong with us. Yeah. Like I feel bad, therefore I am bad. Yeah. Yes. And, and yes. sometimes you have to to accept the fact. Okay. Well, I'm not necessarily good or bad. At least this is my perspective. Okay. And and what I've found is just accepting. Okay, I'm Nate. I'm I'm not necessarily all. I'm not all good. I'm not all bad. Mm. The the brain wants to classify things. Yeah. It and does. we can get ourselves into trouble. Yeah. When we you know if we feel bad inside, then our brain might just tell ourselves. Okay. Well, if I feel bad, I am bad. Yeah. Well. So, 
Oh, I mean, to cut you off. No, 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 go for it. So that's what in acceptance. I'm just saying, in act, one of the coolest things is you start to say, if you start to say, okay, I can get over this or I'm not bad, they call it reason giving. And you kind of sit back and say, all right, what now just kind of pay attention to what stories your brain tells mm-hmm. you in the next few seconds. And it's going to say, you know, no, you are bad or, well, you haven't gotten over this yet or I can't believe you're back in this state or and when you really dig deep on act, you start to then label those. You recognize those as stories that yeah. your brain's trying to hook you and you will say, oh, there's the I can't do it story or mm-hmm. ah, I recognize that one. The old, you know, um, you, you'll never get over this story. They're just stories our brain's telling us and they tell us that and then we become in act. They call it fused. So then you get um, into the, you become fused with that belief. And then that belief or thought is it is fact. But so in act, you're really working on defusing Uh, the guy who founded act, this guy named Stephen Hayes, kind of talking about the mindfulness or meditation. He says, when you meditate, you let your thoughts pass by uh, like a cloud in the sky. You're noticing them rather than pushing them away and acts based on that idea. So the key said isn't isn't cleaning up your thoughts. It's changing the relationship to the world within yourself, kind of like what you're saying. Right. So he says, um, and, and what I love about it, it's based on values too. So it's it is. It's what's your idea of success. You don't have to come out of this and then and write the novel or go get your PhD or whatever, um, because that's gonna if that's not your core value, then you're just kind of setting yourself up to even feel worse about. Yeah, and, and you see that when, when we talk about morality. Yeah. Like two different people, same event. One person is, you know, it, it, it's crushed them because in their own mind, you know, it's a horrible thing. Another person maybe was raised in, say, a sex-positive household, mm-hmm. and they have the same type of event happen in their house and, 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 you know, within their own life, and it doesn't bother them. So, you know, on some level, you know, our, our, our brain is is – is in charge even when your life feels totally out of control. Yeah, exactly. Right. Cause it might even be kind of keeping you there. That's when the, in the act, they call it, that's when you are, you're fusing. Um, boy, I, I almost want to kind of go, you, I'm so close to going off on a tangent, but I like what you just said there. Let me see if there was any other act stuff. And then I'm, I am going to go off on a quick tangent. Um, I mean, so there was a, I kind of pulled a little note because this one referenced to my old alma mater, University of Utah, a clinical psychologist there, um, Megan Call, who uses ACT with clients, said an elite runner might experience the same pain after a long run as someone with a physical disability, she observed. But the runner doesn't believe the pain will limit him, and the person with the disability doesn't have to either. Now, that can sound, you know, like, okay, this clinical psychologist doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but she just said there's a difference between thinking, I can't handle this situation, and I'm having the thought that I can't handle this, Call observes. The latter might uh, lead you to realize that indeed you can. So the, the kind of the, the concept there is you do, you are, the, the way you diffuse from your I'm broken is I notice I am feeling broken when, or if you're, you know, I'm, I'm sad, it's I notice I'm feeling sad when I am, you know, so it's not that I'm, like you said, I'm not, I'm not fused to sadness. I'm not fused to anger. I'm not fused to failure. I notice I am feeling this. Yeah. And, and so the little diffusion, uh, one more quick thing. And then I, I want to do my tangent there too. In, uh, 2014, there was a TEDx talk by an addiction and cancer researcher, Jonathan Bricker, and he described how some see act more effective at controlling cravings to like junk food, cigarettes, and the typical approach. And I like what he said here. He said, you can't win a tug of war with the craving monster, he says in the talk, because eventually the monster will win and you will give in. Act, acceptance and commitment therapy encourages you just to simply drop the rope. Uh, if you allow the monster to occupy the same space in your body, you'll discover that he's not as threatening as he appears, and sometimes he'll even go away. And I kind of thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah so is. drop the rope, right? 
Um, the thing that the tangent that I'm dying to go on is in, uh, in acceptance and commitment therapy, you can have a goal. Mm-hmm. And in this one, I've actually used this so many times this week in a session because somebody brought it up. But if your goal is to make money and you don't look at your value that, you know, we need to lead with our values to get to our goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone was telling me that they had worked in this, basically a call center where they were, they felt like they were basically doing, they were fraud, you know, mm-hmm. they were trying to cover it up. The people up top were, oh, it's not really fraud. You right. know, just, just read this script, you uh-huh. know, and uh, that sort of thing. And so the money was there. Person was making money, but they felt just horrible about right. it because they were like, my goal is I want to be honest. I want to do this with integrity. Right. So then the, in, in act, um, I remember reading in a book at one point where you can have two people that want to climb a mountain. So the goal is to get to the mountain. Mm-hmm. But if one person's, you know, values are to be very present and enjoy and, you know, then they're going to every bit of it, they're going to enjoy, um, the, the camping on the way up. They're going to enjoy the, the rocks and the trail and the trees. Mm-hmm. So then the other person is just, I have to, I have to get to the top. Right. I got to get there as soon as I can. So then if a horrific storm occurs and now we have to scrap the mission, you know, these two climbers that had the same goal, the one who is just his values are around just enjoying the, the being very present mm-hmm. is going to say that was a success. And then the one who didn't who you know, his only goal was to get to the top now feels like a horrible failure. Right. I thought that was kind of deep. That's really deep. I mean, I, I think that that shows the, the value. I mean, it's, it's just a story, but it mm-hmm. just shows the value of changing our, the way we think about certain events and certain things in our lives. And, and depression is mm-hmm. probably, I mean, you can see the application for depression. Yeah. I mean, that's right. Yeah. So if you're looking at it as more of, Hey, I'm on a journey. Um, mm-hmm. and if, if my, you know, I guess if my goal is you, I would love to alleviate symptoms of depression and, and function better, whatever that looks like. Uh, but my, but my values around that are, you know, I'm not going to beat myself up about it. I'm going to, that's why I love your 10 commandments, uh, that I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of take this slow. I'm going to make small steps, you know, then it's going to look a lot different along the way. Then it's, Oh, I didn't, I didn't get my dream job or my dream career or whatever, because depression got in the way. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Nate. Um, we could have kept going, huh? This is good. Well, and, and this is just one small part of depression. Right. Like we didn't even talk about depression, like child or, you know, oh, depression yeah. and teens right, right. and adolescence and, and I smell bipolar the, and right. all the different forms yeah, you're of right. depression. This yeah. is like just basic stuff. All right. right. I smell a part two coming down the road. You, you could probably do a whole series. Ten parts. Okay. Kind of all right. Uh, Nate, thanks for coming back on the virtual couch. This was, this was amazing. Thanks, um, so. Now, you know, you're going to have to write the ten commandments of managing depression i'm gonna have to i need to have that somewhere i can point people to right yeah guest blog on the tonyorbay.com website well just just remember i'm not trying to be perfect i'm just trying to improve so (laughs) i might write a paragraph a day so it could be a few weeks okay that's fair (laughs) i will acknowledge that i noticed that i was feeling pushy um and i will back off of that all right nate thanks so much for coming on and uh so we'll see you again on the virtual couch Flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is wonderful. Elastic waste and rubber ghost. I'm floating past the midnight hour. They push aside the things that matter most.
systems don't explode Allow the understanding through To heal the legs and hearts you move 